Good morning, everybody. We're in Revelation chapter 7. So take your Bibles and turn there, and Lord willing, we'll cover the whole chapter today. Probably not. I say the Lord willing, uh, but the Lord knows my uh, long-windedness, so we'll see. But anyways, chapter 7, starting in verse number 1, after these things. After what things? Let's kind of go back to chapter 6 and very quickly, yeah, after the horsemen, okay? After the horsemen, we talked about the four horsemen. We talked about the fifth seal, which also involves martyrs. Today, we're going to talk about a group of martyrs that are pictured in chapter 7. But the fifth seal of chapter 6 mentions souls that were under the altar. We talked about um, when they lost their lives at the beginning of the tribulation. We talked about the sixth seal, which is heaven opening up, and apparently the people on earth being able to see into the throne room of heaven. And so this was a supernatural sign designed to warn the people that the wrath of God had already come, but now they perceived it. So before these seals, they probably you know, just said, ah, oh, well, there's always been war, always been famine, but now they know for sure that the wrath of God has come. But soon after that sign disappears, uh, there was no doubt some people who come to faith because of it, but there was a majority of people still hardened in their sin. There's a great delusion at this time. Again, the exact nature of what the Antichrist or uh, the devil is going to do in this time period. We don't have all the details. Okay, so uh, we'll find out when we're in heaven after the rapture happens. And I'm thankful that we'll be there and not down here. But in chapter 7, after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth nor on the sea, nor on any tree, and I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, we'll read the next verses afterwards in just a minute. Um, We'll talk about some of the interesting uh, facts that are revealed in these verses. But before we get to that, let's go back to verse 1 and let's discuss this. I think this is very interesting that it describes four angels at the four corners of the earth and they are withholding the wind that it doesn't blow on the earth. The wind here no doubt, as most see it, is representative of the wrath of God, which is about to come upon the earth. Okay, so the trumpet judgments are about to be blown. After that will be followed by the vials or the bowls, depending on which version you have. But those judgments are being withheld because there's something to do first, and that is to seal the 144,000 witnesses so they can begin their ministry of preaching the gospel to the world. And so on your notes, if you look with me there, their first point to take away from all this, besides the fact that, you know, we have the chronological detail of the 144,000 being sealed at this time, uh, besides that, God orders his world even when chaos seems to reign. And I think that we can all agree that as we look at the world around us, we see things getting out of control in our minds. I feel like things are getting out of control. Uh, When I think about law and order, that's not what I perceive around me. But at the same time, 
when I'm reading Revelation 7, as I was studying this this week, the first thing that came across to me is that in the most lawless period in human history, God has these four angels at the four corners of the earth. That means they're, they're encompassing the earth, okay? Those cardinal directions. And God has his representatives, and they're in charge, okay, as his delegates. And so we have God basically with his hands, okay, still on the situation, even when it seems like, you know, all hell is broke loose. I mean, that's literally what's happening on earth. I mean, it talks about that writer, you know, the, the rider on the pale horse and, and death and hell, you know, coming with that horse. And so that's happening on earth. But at the same time, God is completely in control of this situation. And so as he does today, in this future time, God will employ his angels to carry out his will. Something that I think um, has gotten Christians in trouble over the years, but at the same time, it's gotten us in trouble because we don't talk about it enough, is the ministry of angels. In the early church, angels were something that a lot of people got hung up on because they ended up worshiping them. I mean, if you look at the book of Colossians, there were people that were in Colossae that were worshiping angels as gods. And of course, Paul goes out of his way in, in chapter one of that letter to show that Jesus made all the angels. So all these powers and principalities, dominions, all the different, you know, Greek terms that you apply to these different orders of angels, you know, whatever they may be, Jesus created them. He's greater than all of them. So there were some people who were tempted to worship the angels. And I think that this group, okay, our doctrinal background, I've never been tempted to worship an angel because I know what they are. I know that they're created beings. Um, however, at the same time, uh, because the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about angels, um, growing up, there's been very little honestly said about angels. You know, I, I haven't really read a whole lot about it other than, okay, they're created by God. Okay. And, uh, you know, they do his will behind the scenes, but I think it's really good for us, even if we don't have a ton of information about it, uh, to remind ourselves that they do minister to us as heirs of salvation. It says that in Hebrews chapter one. So we know that they are serving us behind the scenes. Now we know that they're going to have a prominent role in the end times, but I would say that their role is probably just as prominent now. We just don't have all the details. If you go to the book of Daniel, which is also very apocalyptic and you kind of pierce through the fabric of space time and you can see you, know, you have these archons, okay, or these princes, you got the good ones, you got the bad ones, you know, you got Michael over here, the prince of Israel, and then you have the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece, and these are bad guys. So you have angels working behind the scenes and no doubt you have angels working in the lives of not just nations, but in the lives of us as individuals. And so we shouldn't pray to angels. We shouldn't uh, see them as objects of worship, but at the same time, I'm very thankful for them. And I can imagine myself, you know, in getting to heaven one day, finding out how angels, okay, many of them, perhaps, I don't think there's anything in scripture that specifically says you got one angel that follows you around. Maybe that's, that's possible. There's nothing in the Bible that rules it out, but I can imagine myself in heaven being like, thank you, you know, <laughs> because while they are servants and they do as God tells them, the Bible makes it clear that angels rejoice in heaven. Um, they rejoice over the children of God. They love us. They love the children of God. They love us because God loves us. They love what God loves. And so they willingly, happily serve us. And we're going to be able, when we get to heaven, look back on our lives and see whenever it seems so chaotic, God was in charge even then. And it wasn't just something that we said to make ourselves feel better. 
He really was in charge, and he had his angels carrying out his purpose. So like we got three or four on Christmas just to keep her alive. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe. You know, I, I think that, and part of this, I don't want to go too far off track here, but I think that the Bible makes it clear that we have a role to play in spiritual warfare, and angels, what they do, they take orders from God, and no doubt there's a hierarchy. You know, you got the privates, and you got the sergeants, and the colonels, and the generals, and all this stuff. I know that there's a hierarchy. The Bible teaches that, too. But um, I think that what we do affects the spiritual world. Um, I think that there are times where God, I imagine it this way, there are times when God wants to he wants to test me because I'm his child. He wants me to grow in my faith. He wants me to get stronger. He wants me to learn something. Okay, there's something Buddy needs to work on. And I think that, of course, demons are out to attack all of us. I think we have an enemy, and I think we don't need to downplay that. Sometimes Baptists do downplay that. We don't need to downplay the reality that there are demons that are trying to tempt and discourage us on a daily basis. And I think there have been times in my life where God would basically, you know, give that order okay, to the angels who are watching over me and say, all right, I want you to hold off for now. Okay, in this conflict with the demons, I want you to hold back. Okay, now because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I know that I'm safe and I'm secure. And there is a sense in which the devil cannot touch me. My soul is in the hands of God. Um, and no one can pluck me from his hand. But at the same time, I think that God will allow us to go through difficult seasons. And Yes, like Job. And I think that when we, through that time period of struggle, when we're going to the word of God and we're clinging to his promises and we're praying, I think that God at some point, and I felt this in my life, and I'm sure y'all can testify to this too. I felt moments where it's like God said, all right, I'm sending in the cavalry. You know, they, they were holding back so that way I could be, I could be tested to be stronger. Okay. The metal, which is my faith could be refined further, but God doesn't just leave us in the fire. Uh, there have been many times where I've received that encouragement and it was like a breath of fresh air. Um, I think that an illustration of that would be Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Remember, after Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, who does God send as soon as Jesus passes the test? He sends the angels. I have no doubt that he does that in our lives too. And so I think that it's, it's really important for us to remind ourselves that angels are an important part of God's plan. And they serve that role now, not just in the future. When we read Revelation, it's like angels everywhere. And that's because we're able to see something that we normally can't see. John is seeing something that no one else had seen before. He's seeing the end. And he's seeing the spiritual world and how God is opening up these seals. And he's sending out this angel and that angel. And he's seeing the cherubim. Uh, and so we may not be able to see it all, but we know the same resources that God has here in the end times, he's using those for our benefit today. So that's something I think we should remind ourselves of. But uh, in verses two and three, it says that this angel has the seal of the living God. Uh, what's probably being described here is a seal in his hand. Uh, many people understand it that way. Uh, imagine, you know, sealing a document, stamping a document. This angel has that sacred seal and he's going to seal these servants. What will that seal look like? I think it's going to be a literal seal. So I do believe that it will be visible. Uh, most commentators take it that way. And when we compare this to the seal of the Antichrist or the mark of the beast, I think that it's going to be visible. And so is this seal going to be visible? Now, there's a debate as to will every single believer have the seal? I don't think so. Uh, I think that the seal, at least in this text, 
is clearly given to the 144,000 witnesses, and it doesn't mention that every single believer will have this visible seal. So sometimes it's easy whenever we're reading this text to, I think, confuse this seal that's being talked about with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Now, the seal of the Holy Spirit is something every single believer gets the moment they're saved. Uh, Ephesians 1, um, uh, Ephesians 4.30, they both indicate that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, the moment we believe in Christ. Um, this seal is based on that seal. Um, so this brings up the topic of whether or not the Holy Spirit will be active in dwelling people and dwelling believers in the tribulation. And I think that he will. I know there are some dispensationalists that don't agree with that, but I'm very convinced that he will. Yes. Will the seal um, for the 144,000 be visible to unbelievers? Because like some of the like left behind shows that right. it's not it's invisible, but you can see it if you're a believer. I, I don't know. I, I would assume that just as the mark of the beast is going to be visible to everybody, that the seal that they're receiving is too. Uh, the Bible doesn't spell that out, so I really don't know. I mean, it could be that way. Sure. Uh, but I but I know that it says that they're protected, and it doesn't say that they're protected perpetually. This is another thing. Some people think that they will survive to the end of the tribulation. Really good Bible prophecy students, scholars on both sides of the debate. Some think that all the 144,000, it's like, you know, they have a blank check. They will make it till the end. Did it say uh, how the God commissions them or picks them, or how do they know they're... I think that it's going to be angelic. I think there's going to be a lot of angelic activity. Yes, I think that angels will specifically mark them out. Um, in the Acts period, we have active mm -hmm. angelic ministry. I mean, we have angels appearing to people like Peter and Paul, and you know, we have Christ himself appearing to Paul. So I think that we're going to have a restoration of the conditions of the Acts period. Some people think in the tribulation, we're going back to the law. I disagree firmly. I think that we're going back to Acts. So this is after the church has already been established. Now, in Joel chapter 2, it says the Holy Spirit will be poured out in the end times. Peter refers to that in Acts chapter 2, but it wasn't fully fulfilled. It talks about the sun going dark and the moon going red. That happens in chapter 6. We read about that, the sixth seal. So we're having Pentecost finally and fully fulfilled. Now, the question is, were people at Pentecost and dwelt by the Holy Spirit? Yes, they were. So if they weren't dwelt by the Holy Spirit, there's absolutely no reason to say that these people won't either. Uh, but I think you're going to have more than we see today. It's just like, you know, in Acts, people were indwelt by the Holy Spirit when they believed, but there were also visible signs that attended that, speaking in tongues, miracles. Um, you know, Christians may debate today whether those outward signs are still around. I personally believe, and we've done a study about it, I don't think that tongue speaking, I don't think that the gift of prophecy and specifically the gift of healing. I don't think that those things are present today. But no Christian, okay, unless they're a heretic, denies that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit still happens today just as much as it happened in the Pentecost period of the time of Acts. And so I think that we're just going to have even more of the Holy Spirit in terms of perception. You're going to have people indwelt by the Holy Spirit just like we're indwelt today. They're going to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. They're going to be eternally secure. There are some scholars, I, I disagree with them. I don't see where they find this in scripture. They think that there will be no eternal security in the tribulation. Uh, they have this idea that uh, in the days of the law before the cross, uh, people had to persevere in their faith to be saved. Uh, they think that it was by works. They think after the cross, it's by grace. I don't see that. I, I see in the book of Romans, look at Galatians. No one was ever justified by the law. The law was meant to simply reveal our need for a savior. And Abraham, he lived before the cross, but yet Abraham was justified by faith just as much as we are. He's the pattern set.
for all of us today who are saved by grace through faith. And so in the tribulation period, uh, people will be sealed by the Holy Spirit. People will be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And uh, on top of that, there will be a special commission to people. You know, uh, you mentioned earlier, Steve, um, how these 144,000 witnesses will be sort of like uh, Apostle Paul's. Imagine 144,000 Pauls. Uh, it's hard to imagine that. Uh, but there's a great multitude that comes from every tribe and nation. So this means we're going to have more revival in the tribulation than probably ever before seen in the church age. Now, this doesn't mean that the majority of people in the world will be saved. Contrary to that, we, we know the majority of people will follow the Antichrist. But just because the majority will follow the Antichrist doesn't mean that millions upon millions will not be saved in a dramatic revival that everybody will know about. I mean, no, these revivals will not be secret. They won't be in little pockets here in the middle of the jungle. They will be noticeable. There are going to be people speaking in tongues, I believe. I think there will be people speaking prophecy. There will be great healings. I think that Pentecost is going to have its second phase um, after the rapture takes place. So uh, that's why I will call myself a moderate cessationist. You know, you have the Presbyterians and a lot of Reformed people who believe that when those gifts of tongues, prophecy, and healing ceased, they ceased forever and they'll never be revived. I think they've been temporarily set aside until the rapture happens. And when the rapture happens, I think there's going to be a second phase of Pentecost. And I think that Gentiles will no doubt also receive these things in the Acts period. It wasn't just the Jews who performed miracles. So I think Gentile converts will also experience the Holy Spirit in ways like this. But uh, chiefly, it's going to start with the Jews, just like it started with the Jews at Pentecost. It started there in Israel before it went to the Gentile nations. And it's going to start in Israel after the rapture. And so um, these people who are sealed, uh, they are shielded by God. Um, I don't think that this means that they're protected from the martyrdom of um, or the execution by the hand of the Antichrist. I don't necessarily think that that's the case. I think it's possible that they may lose their lives, uh, but they are shielded for a time. Now, for the first half of the tribulation, there's no fear of martyrdom from the Antichrist because they're Jewish and the Antichrist has made a peace covenant with the Jews. So when these Jewish um, evangelists are marked, like they're kept safe. And I would assume that since the Antichrist is ri rising to global power, wherever they are in the world, I believe they would also have that safety until that covenant is broken. Uh, when the covenant is broken, uh, I think that God is going to accomplish his goal through them to reach people. Uh, I think that every Christian in a sense is invincible. If we're faithful, we're invincible until God calls us home. Mm -hmm. Now, he may call us home through the hand of persecution. He may call us home through the hand of a, a sickness or illness, um, natural causes. But we are invincible until God calls us home. The only exception to that would be if someone is carnal and they're sinning, a sin that leads to death. And then God takes that person out of the world and it wasn't what was intended. Like this is a purpose that God wanted to accomplish through them. They were not faithful, so God removed them. It's like taking your kids to Disney World, you're driving down the road, you're not too far away from home, and you say, if y'all don't change your behavior, then I'll turn this car around, okay? It, it's something similar to that. But if you're faithfully serving God as a believer, we have the confidence that nothing will remove us from this world until God is done with us. God's not gonna say, oops, uh, you know, there's nothing I can do about that sickness. There's nothing I could do about that persecution. We've seen so many examples in scripture and in the lives of people that we know of God providing deliverance. Um, so that's why sometimes it's, it's very hard whenever you see a faithful believer and, and they, their life is cut from our perspective short. But we have no idea how God is going to use that situation. Like Nate Saint 
and exactly because right. young young men i mean probably what in their 30s maybe early, earlier than that maybe 20s I, 20s or 30s, I mean they were young i mean yes. they're probably you know around the same age as me sure. okay and they had young kids married men and their lives were cut short and they yeah. didn't really make a lot of inroads into that mission field until until they lost their lives and their wives their faithfulness of their wives and their kids and and the wonderful uh, testimony coming from that and so yes there's many things where we can see it and so God giving us that evidence encourages us and me in particular that, okay, I may not be able to see it in this particular case. It's very foggy. Okay. But I've seen how God has used all these other situations this way. And so I know that this faithful believers, uh, life, when it was cut short, it does have purpose, even if we can't see it. Um, and so the second point for your notes is God shields his servants so that they might bear forth his light. And uh, like I said, even though we may not be sealed in the same manner as these 144,000, our own sealing implies a noble calling. And so the first point is God orders his world even when chaos seems to reign. And the second point is God shields his servants so they might bear forth his light. And so let's, um, let's stop right there, actually, because... We've touched on a lot of really good things today, but I know that when we get into verses four through eight and uh, the rest of the chapter, verses nine through 17, there's a lot more there that I know I'm not going to be able to do justice today if we go any further. And I don't want to rush through it. It is a whole chapter. And so we'll talk more about the 144,000 because it's interesting. It doesn't mention Ephraim and Manasseh, it just mentions Joseph. Mm, right. And it doesn't mention Dan at all. Right. And Levi is counted in this list when often in the Old Testament, Levi is not numbered with the tribes because it was a priestly yeah. tribe. And so there's an interesting you know, discussion to be had about that. We'll touch on that next week and uh, a number of other things. So God bless and thank you so much for listening to us this morning.